Listen to these words from Psalm 128. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, I need to begin with a confession today. Today's sermon was originally going to be a message on the Psalms of Lament, a sermon about anguish and rage and grief and complaining to God. Maybe it was the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, or, or maybe my mood was simply too good over the last couple of weeks. Uh, either way, we are not going to be talking today about the Psalms of Lament. Instead, we're going to talk about blessing and about joy and about happiness in the Lord. Now, to be sure, uh, friends, the Christian church has often gotten this wrong. We seem to go to one extreme or the other. On the one hand, we've believed that following Jesus maybe is supposed to make us miserable. It's supposed to be difficult and hard all the time, characterized by austerity and, and seriousness. On the other hand, we've believed that following Jesus is supposed to make us happy and that if you just believe in God the right way or pray the right prayer, God will pour out material success and you'll have a big house and, and a big car. Now, it's true that sometimes life is miserable and following Jesus is difficult, and it's true that sometimes we do have material success. But taken to extremes, these two approaches, I think, miss the point. Today, I want to suggest to you, friends, that what God desires for God's people is neither misery nor material success, but what the Bible calls blessing. The Bible says God has blessing for the people of God. So last Sunday, we began our summer sermon series, and I'm grateful to our district superintendent, Reverend Scott Davis, who preached the sermon last week when Pastor Matt was at licensing school and I was on vacation. So thank you for your grace in extending that to us. Uh, we are preaching a sermon series on the Psalms on the Old Testament book of Psalms. Now, some of you will remember last summer we did a survey. We asked for your input about what are the questions of faith that you wrestle with and what are the books of the Bible that you would like to hear us preach about. And right at the top of the list was the book of Psalms. So I want you to know this is in response to what you have asked for and heard God say to you about what is it that we need to study together. So we are beginning our, our series on the Psalms for this summer, and our series is called Mixtape. Mixtape. How many of you remember the 1980s? Most of you? Okay. How many of you recorded songs from the radio onto a cassette tape? Yes. Okay. So that's what the cool kids did when I was a kid. And the coolest ones had the biggest boom boxes, right? You remember? And you'd carry it around on your shoulder so you could look extra cool. And you used to listen to Casey Kasem, and he would play his top 40. And when you got in that top 10, man, those songs were so good. You would try to hit record at the right time, right? And sometimes you'd miss the beginning of the song, you'd get cut off, and so you'd try again the next day. 
but uh, we would listen to that music and record our favorite songs, and it was Janet Jackson and Kenny Loggins and Bon Jovi and Prince. This was the 80s, friends, and it turns out God loves music too. God loves music too. Uh, God has a mixtape, and it is called the Book of Psalms. God's own mixtape is the Book of Psalms. The Psalms are a collection of poetry and, and of prayer and of music written by and for the people of God called Israel. And one of the great things about the Psalms, one of the things I love most is that like music, they do a great job of describing our human experience. The Psalms help us praise God. They help us grieve our losses. They even help us curse our enemies. Did you know that? We're going to talk more about that next week. For today, we're talking about the way the Psalms help us to acknowledge and name our blessings, the way they help us to see all the ways God is pouring God's abundant love into our lives. So I want you to listen again to Psalm 128. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. Friends, the key word in this psalm is blessing. And this idea is repeated over and over again. It begins with a promise of blessing. It continues with examples of that blessing. And it ends with an invitation for God to bless us again. So look with me at verse 1. Let's unpack the psalm a little bit. Verse 1 says, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. What does it mean to be blessed? I think we've all got some idea of what that word means. What does it mean to be blessed? Well, surely Facebook and Twitter have revealed just how we have cheapened the idea of blessing, right? So, oh, I've got four green lights in a row. Hashtag blessed. Surely there's more to it than that, friends. Surely there's more to blessing than hitting all the green lights out here on Timberlake Road or getting seven McNuggets when you only paid for six. McNuggets. In the Bible, blessing basically means two things. First, it means a public declaration of a favored status with God. A public declaration of a favored status with God. So think of the Beatitudes. Jesus pronounced blessing on all sorts of people. He said, Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. This was a public declaration of those who are favored by God. That's blessing. Blessing also means being endowed with God's riches and God's power. Think of the covenant that God made with Abraham. God said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And the riches of God here are not so much like material blessings, but uh, God promised Abraham a family, and he promised him a home. These are the kind of blessings that we expect from God. And who is it that receives this blessing? Look, it says, 
All who fear the Lord. All who fear the Lord. I, I think it was a generation ago when Christians used to talk about fearing God. Do you remember when we used to talk about fearing God? We don't talk about that as much anymore. Maybe that sounds old-fashioned to our ears. I wonder if we can recall what it means to fear the Lord. It seems to me it's not so much a matter of being afraid and hiding in a corner as if God would hurt us, although I do wonder if we've done something wrong, if perhaps we should be afraid, because there is judgment. Judgment is real. But I think when we say fear of the Lord, perhaps it's something more like awe or reverence, uh, being amazed at God's love for us. I think that's what it means to fear the Lord, to be in awe of, of just how big God is and just how small we are and that God would love us anyway. Did you ever give a gift to a child that she wasn't expecting or maybe it was the gift that she wanted most in the whole world and just never figured that she would actually receive it and when you gave that gift and it was unwrapped, you just reveled in the reaction that you got, didn't you? And her eyes got big and her mouth was wide open, a sense of disbelief. You mean you got this for me? In my imagination, that's what the, the fear of the Lord is like when sinners come to Jesus Christ and realize for the first time that you are beloved, that God, Almighty God, creator of this world, loves you in a personal and intimate way. Friends, salvation in Jesus Christ not only means eternity in heaven when you die, it also means a life of goodness and blessing in the meantime. Over and over, the Psalms testify to the blessings that God has for God's people. Look at Psalm 40. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Look at Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless Blessed are those who keep his laws and seek him with all their heart. Look at Psalm 31. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you. Look at Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Friends, I wonder how many of us could testify this morning, the Lord has done great things for me. The Lord has done great things for me. Friends, I want you to understand it's not a sin to enjoy life, to enjoy God and the things that God gives to us. I love the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. This is a, a book that instructs new believers on what it is the church believes about God and who God is and who we are in relation to God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism starts out like this. The first question asks, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what is the goal of humankind? What is our purpose as a human race? And the answer comes to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Isn't that so great? Isn't that so great? Not only to glorify God, yes, to worship and give praise to God, but also to enjoy God, to have a life of fulfillment because we are in relationship with God, and not just now, but forever and ever and ever. 
I think sometimes we get caught up on this because uh, perhaps we think joy is a moral requirement for Christian living. Friends, joy is not a prerequisite. In fact, there will be seasons of our lives when we have very little joy. There will be seasons when we have grief and when we have trouble and when we have difficulty. But never forget, brothers and sisters, that when you are in love with God and when you walk with Jesus Christ, when you live with an awareness of all the blessings that God has already given you, there resides deep in your spirit an unquenchable joy that no one can take away from you. Verse 2 of the psalm we've been reading says, You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Friends, joy is the fruit. It's not a requirement. It's a gift. Joy is the fruit of your laboring after God. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. You know in Galatians 5 it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? Joy is the second one. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Look with me at verses 3 and 6 from Psalm 128. The psalmist writes, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. May you live to see your children's children peace beyond Israel. And the psalm reminds us that blessing is relational. Have you noticed that, friends? Blessing, it comes in relationship. And inherent in the power, inherent in it is the power to increase when we share it and when we delight in it. You see, this is how God's economy works. God's economy is one of abundance. Now, the, the human economy is one of scarcity, perhaps, but God's economy is one of abundance. And what that means is, when you give away and share the things of God, they don't decrease, they increase. Have you noticed that? When you give away and share the things of God in God's economy, those things increase, not only in the life of the other, but in your life as well. Last week, I spent a day hiking with my friend Eric. We climbed a mountain called the Priest, which seemed appropriate for two pastors. Any of you ever hiked the Priest before? It's about an hour north of here, a couple nods. Yeah, this is a pretty tough hike. Uh, it reminded me just how good of shape I'm not in yet. Uh, five miles each way, five miles up, five miles down, uh, about 3,000 feet of elevation gain. And uh, you'll be glad to know that I checked my pedometer, counted my steps, 30,000 steps that day, uh, which is pretty great. Don't ask me how many the next day, please, but 30,000 on that day. So it was a treat to see my friend Eric. Uh, we used to hang out a lot in Harrisonburg. We would meet at Panera and drink coffee and uh, talk about our churches and how to be effective in ministry, do the things that, that pastors do. But I don't see him as much anymore because he moved to Luray and I moved here. Um, and I, I realized just how much I miss him. And one of the things I miss most about him is that he makes me laugh. You have friends like that? We need friends like that. We need friends who will make us laugh. Eric has a smart aleck comment for everything, uh, and he just he makes me laugh. I've realized how important it is to have friends like that in my life. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm in danger of taking myself too seriously. You ever find yourself in that place in life? You're taking yourself, whoa, way too seriously. I wonder if we could take the call of Christ seriously without counting ourselves just too important in this thing called life. Uh, so I took a few photos on the hike and I want you to see, uh, I don't know if you can see it from there. That, that's, the, that's the view from, 
from the top there and the valley below. It's just stunning. It's gorgeous uh, what God has made. Uh, it's an awesome sight. And um, as I stood there at the top, one of the things I noticed was just how many shades of green that there are. You ever notice that? Just how many shades of each color? This day was green. This was a green day for us. Surely God could have made the world with just one shade of green, right? Or, or two, three would have been sufficient. Four would have been plenty. But, but God used thousands or, or, or perhaps millions of shades of green. Why so many? Could it be for the pleasure of it? Could it be for the sake of beauty? Could it be for God's enjoyment? Could it be for our enjoyment? I think sometimes we miss this, my friends, because we are so doggone practical. Have you noticed how logical and practical and reasonable middle-class American Methodists are? You know, we don't do something unless it has a purpose, right? We don't do something unless there's some practical end to it. But, but things like, like beauty and, and playfulness and joy and pleasure, these are, are things God has given us for their own sake. They don't have to be in service to some greater good. Beauty is its own virtue. Playfulness is, is its own reward. These are the blessings of God for the people of God. As, as I stood on that mountain that day, I, I wondered, uh, how did God make this world and then I got to thinking, why? Why did God make the world? God, God didn't need this world, right? God doesn't need us. I mean, who are we kidding, right? God is God and we are not. God doesn't need us. And yet God saw fit to create this world. And, and we wonder why. I wonder if it has something to do with companionship. Something to do with God's desire to share God's infinite love with all of the creation, including you, including me. I think a similar question to why God created the world would be, why do people plant flowers? Why do we plant flowers? Is there some practical reason? Well, you know, perhaps it helps the bees make honey, right? It helps with the rhythm of life. But, but it seems to me that mostly we plant flowers because they're beautiful. Mostly we plant flowers because they brighten our day because they remind us of our grandmothers or of people who have, who have gone before us. We grow flowers for pure enjoyment. I want to share with you a poem. This is a, a book that my grandmother wrote. Um, it actually was put together by my, my aunt, Denise. Uh, but it's poems that my grandmother, my mamma, she wrote. Uh, and it's called, Next Time You're in the Garden. And this poem is called The Rose. And I want you to hear what uh, my, my mamma's reflections on these things. I love to see the roses in the garden where they bloom. With their natural beauty, they befit the bride and groom. In a rose bowl on the table, they simply are sublime. You can make another happy with a rose gift so divine. With their sweet fragrance to permeate the air, if I had to choose just one, I couldn't, I declare. The rosebud with such splendor is a favorite, I suppose, if we could only have within us the beauty of a rose. Next time you're in the garden where the blossoms are so sweet, take time to smell the roses. It might just be a treat.
I'm thankful to my mamma today who has gone before us uh, for her reminder that these are the gifts of God and they are here for us to enjoy and to share. Let God's people say amen. Amen.